Hello and welcome to CityWire Podcast. I'm Margarita Kirakosian and joining me today is Anna Snyder, Head of Due Diligence at the Wealth Management Division of Bank of America Merrill Lynch and Dr. Nisha Lon, Head of ESG and Cross-Border Investment Research at CityWire. Anna, Nisha, thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Anna, I know that uh, in your due diligence process, because of course you are assessing multiple funds on a daily basis, one piece of the puzzle that you're looking at increasingly more is diversity, diversity of teams. And that goes beyond just gender diversity, for example, and into other types of diversity. So I wanted to start actually asking you why this matters to you and why this has taken up um, much more of your time than it used to. Sure. Um, so actually, in 2019, uh, the due diligence team that I lead set, set out in doing some research and, and looking at what research had been done, both from uh, in the academic world and then and then industry studies, McKinsey, you know, others uh, that had looked at diversity and the effects of better diversity on things like profitability, which I think we've all seen uh, in general and in, in corporate profits. And then trying to also see what investment had been done, linking you know sort of more around the invest investment piece, right? So linking diversity to investment team success, or the very least in investment decision making or decision making in general. What I always say around this to first is that you know, in, when you're doing manager selection and due diligence. A lot of what you're assessing, right, with with teams is the efficacy of decision making. And so if there is an extreme amount of research, and there is <laughs> a lot of research that shows that, you know, more diverse teams have more effective decision making, you would, I think, if you thought about it that way, and that's how we thought about it, you know, we were hard pressed to sort of ignore that um, component in thinking about how effective um, investment decision-making teams uh, work, right? So, um, so, so we were so we started doing this research in 2019 and had a plan for how to roll it out. 2020, uh, where our plan was to roll it out in March of 2020, which we did. Um, that was a very ended up being a very interesting time <laughs> to roll out not only a new part of our due diligence process, but you know, uh, as the the months went on, not only COVID, but with George Floyd and and obviously you know events that had happened uh, pre George Floyd Floyd and post George Floyd, uh, it became you know something that the rest I guess of the asset management universe you know not started thinking about but began thinking about in more acute or or more sort of serious uh, ways. So um, we were a little bit ahead of the curve I think in thinking about this. You know it was it was not a reaction, but it sort of all happened around the same time in a in a strange coincidence as life generally mm-hmm. You know, gives you. <laughs> That's it. Yes, uh, for sure. And I was wondering, in terms of the kind of like conclusions that you've reached after that first, very first survey, what did you find? And another question, probably linked to that: How many firms were actually ready to disclose information about themselves and talk about it at all? Well, so the first year was a was we all we knew there was going to be a learning process. It was a, both a learning process for the analysts and it was a learning process for the asset management organizations that we were working with. Um, and just sort of just to just to set a little bit of context, the way that our assessment works. So it is part of the way that we assess overall investment conviction in a manager. Um, and like everyone else who, who who's in this space, you know, we look 
we look at the strength of the organization, and we're also looking at the strength of the the actual strategy that we are um, assessing and the investment team that runs that strategy. And and by the way, this is you know this stretches across active, passive, quant, fundamental, hedge, and and private market strategy. So it's not you know just sort of one type of investment decision making process that the process that this can apply to, which also adds to the complexity of how you establish things like even internal benchmarks and think about the relative strength or weaknesses of different teams who are you know, doing systematic passive quantitative strategies versus sort of fundamental strategy. But that being said, you know, we we do we do the diversity and inclusion assessment as well as an ESG assessment actually affects both our view on the organization itself and the investment team. So on the organizational side, some of the findings that we've had are that, in particular, <laughs> larger and more public and, and publicly traded asset managers sort of have their have ha- have things together, if you will, <laughs> when it comes to having defined what the diversity and inclusion organization looks like. You know, there's generally either a head of diversity and inclusion that's full time or or someone that's been designated as such. There are diversity and inclusion committees um, for different types of for different types of, of, of demographic groups, and um, you know there there's there are robust policies, et cetera, et cetera. As you go down, this is the U.S. right because most mm-hmm. most of our man- we have a lot of global managers, but a lot of them are U.S. Um, headquartered. Um, and for the U.S., um, as you go down in in AUM and you go into uh, non publicly traded, so privately held, obviously. Asset managers, um, the uh, the lack of sort of the lack of formal infrastructure, um, you know, or sorry, the the presence of formal infrastructure becomes less formal, <laughs> um, and um, it doesn't. It's not necessarily lacking, um, but um, you know, it, it's sort of people's part time jobs and things like that. Uh, let's just say, and so. Um, and and I think some of that is trying to figure out whether that is a cost or you know or s- some other sort of function that's 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 working um, there that that sort of causes that um, discrepancy. But we do see actually in, in, even in things like maternity or paternity leave policies or um, you know stated goals. Uh, actually, everyone's bad in stating goals, or else or else they just won't tell you what they are. They might have them internally stated, but they won't tell you what they are. Um, but but you'll see really dis- different disparities in, in terms of size, AUM, and then publicly versus non-publicly traded companies. Then when you get down to investment teams, <laughs> I, I I don't want to overgeneralize, but basically everything's bad. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> this is an industry, right? Like foundation. Mm-hmm. Study. This is an industry in the U.S. Ninety-eight point seven percent of all assets are managed by men, right? Mm-hmm. So if you just take that, right, it, it, it you know it's not surprising, right, that the organizational sort of infrastructure around diversity and inclusion or ESG might be actually very strong, but <laughs> sort of at the team level, it's it's an equalizer um, uh, and not in a good way, right? It mm-hmm. is still huge amounts to be done on investment teams to really. Um, to to really sort of diversify both in sort of thought and experience and and obviously in gender and racial um, Mm -hmm. equality, as with other types of equality that you can't sort of visually pick up on, if you will. Mm -hmm. So one thing that you've mentioned is 
everyone is pretty much universally bad at stating goals. So what do you mean by that? Is that the goals on the number of female fund managers or aspirational strategies? What are you referring to? Yeah, so you, you asked a little bit about, um, uh, you know, data before, you know, the, the transparency of data. And I think, you know, we've, we've received, um, you know, there, be some, there's, there are some managers that have said, we don't have the data, we don't, we're not going to give it to you. Um, and that's a different type of engagement um, because we don't make it voluntary. We're like, just as a note, this is not voluntary. This is like you giving us performance information. We're li- literally not moving forward until you give us something. Right now, it may not be robust and it may not be good. And it may be very, un- it's not easy to sort of parse apart, but we do require this information now for all funds on our platform, anyone who's new that we're going to launch. So it goes from that, but I, but I think in general, I would say people give okay diversity data, but the a way that people um, define diversity, um, obviously we know there are geographic differences and actually legal requirements um, and constraints between Europe and 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 U.S. and, and others, right? What what people call diversity, what they're thinking about when they say diversity inclusion. Um, all of that was a big learning process for us to try to figure out how to like get the data and normalize it. But that's just data, like current set of data and looking backward, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's hard enough to sort of compare and contrast and scrub to be able to get some sort of view as to what's going on um, across asset managers. And then, um, and that is, um, so, so, so that's hard enough. But then with these goals, right? Thinking about how, okay, so where I'm, I'm here and where do I wanna move to? is actually surprisingly lacking. Um, And one of our goals is not to, so, you know, obviously we want this, we wanted to have and not to have diversity and inclusion data that we just sort of collected and then put in a drawer, Um, right? And said, you know, we did, we've we've done our thing, right? And, you know, we'll, we'll tell, you know, some institutional client who's giving us an RFP that we collect this data, whatever. Um, and because of, frankly, I think that's been done for years in this industry. And guess what? It hasn't helped move the needle at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying that people don't ignore it or don't, but it's not used in a way that causes an incentive or disincentive from an economic perspective, right? So if I'm telling you it affects the rating that you have, um, you know, the investment, you know, recommendation and the rating that you have, um, um, both positively and negative, po- positively or negatively, you choose as a manager, right? Um, that I think that's a different way to look at this. Um, and it's not, again, it's not some, it's not the an overwhelming factor. I mean, it, it's it's one factor that we inserted along with all the, these other factors that we look at, look at to establish conviction, uh, investment conviction. Um, but you know, I mean, it we wanted it to have teeth. Mm-hmm. Um, and we wanted it to sort of mean something because the data says that it means something, right? And so that's that's sort of, you know, as sort of just pure research professionals, that that's how that's how we designed it. But this this notion of, but we we sort of thought of it as, okay, you know, we don't necessarily want it to be entirely punitive. And year one, it wasn't going to be that punitive, right? Just to say, because we're just trying to establish where you are today. And yes, we're trying to establish sort of on a relative basis where that fits into other peers of your size and et cetera, et cetera, make up um, what kind of investment strategies you're running. But, um, 
but really, I feel very few people have really sort of sat down and said, like, where do we want to go to and how do we get there? Right. So they sign up for all these partnerships and they're partnering with this NGO and this industry network. And um, and that's great. Right. Like I'm not I'm not putting that down, but it's like, what is the what, like just like anything else I'd ask you. Right. So say I'm, I'm talking about a succession plan for a portfolio manager. Right. And I say, OK, well, you know, if, if sort of the proverbial you get hit by the proverbial bus, you know, who takes over. Right. People normally have a plan, right? They should have a plan on how the makeup of their team is going to look, where they want to get to. Um, and you don't have, that is not on the radar, especially at the investment team level and even at the organizational level. So I think that's a lot of, um, and, and, you know, so, so there's a lot of things there that, that a lot of room for improvement in general across the industry, regardless of size or whether you're publicly traded or not. Yeah, Nisha, I can see your urgent to ask a question now. <laughs> yeah, I just found it fascinating when you're talking about the investment teams and the lack of diversity that it, there is at that level. Because you also, you see the holistic, you know, overview of a company, but you don't see that level. But um, with your reporting of the data that you, you know, want all that investment data, the diversity data, how much pushback have you had from these companies or have you seen more um reporting on this because you're demanding this information? Yeah, I mean, I we have had pushback. Um, I wouldn't say it's like large scale, uh, but but more, it, it's more of a back and forth around how we want to see the data and how we're asking for data. And I, I'm, I'm never a big believer in taking up a lot of investment professionals' time and figuring out how to slice and dice numbers for every single investor that they have. I want them to be managing money. And I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want to be a, a burden on the organization or team. But on the other hand, we think that the data that we're asking for is something they should be keeping. And unless you're legally not able to give it to me, which I understand, um, there's, you know, the, the, the sort of hemming and hawing about, um, you know, how they, you know, to, to ask them to slice up data, um, you know, by ethnicity, then by gender, then by levels of the, because we go into levels of the investment team, PMs, you know, um, you know, sort of co-PMs or, or like assistant PMs, um, senior analysts, and then junior analysts. And we want to see sort of what, you know, and we want to see, because we want to see from year to year, what the trajectory of that more junior, right? Because you tend to get more junior level diversity. And, and then we all know that, you know, this will be a lot of studies, particularly on women, that they drop off at a certain point of the workforce and don't necessarily re-enter. And so how, how, is, how is that working in the investment organization, um, you know, and, and in that investment team in general is, is something that we think is really important. Um, for, so, so yeah, that, 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 so it's, I don't mean to be a pain in the neck, but, you know, it, <laughs> I think think you you need to be in a pain in the neck, I think, to get to the level that we need to get to in the first place. I just want to ask one more question as well. Um, Just um, as you mentioned, you know, supporting of existing talent that you have and a lot of women fund managers, especially in our research that we've seen in Alpha Female, it's about the retention. It's, you know, where they're coming in. The pipeline is great. You know, you know, 
fund managers are coming through, analysts are coming through. But once they're in those positions, um, the stats that we have show that the turnover is very high for female fund managers you know, in the industry. And I was just wondering, from your point of view, have you seen it in the US improving in any way or have any initiatives that you think could help um, you know, retain these fund managers, these female fund managers especially? I haven't seen it improving. I mean, we, you know, obviously the Alpha mm-hmm. Female Report showed that there is there is progress that's happening and that is good. Um, but, you know, I think that there are, um, you know, co- coming from a, you know, from, from a, there are so many pressures that they, that they have. And if you, um, again, this is, I, I want to overgeneralize, but if you look at statistics, just, you know, there have been so many statistics done on, say, women investors and the wage gap and earnings gap that women have because they're in and out of workforce and they're giving elder care, right? They're, they're responsible, at least in the U.S., the studies show, and it's not my opinion, that they are responsible for a lot of the family care, right, that goes on, even if they are in a, if they're a portfolio manager, right, and maybe male portfolio managers, and again, I'm grossly overgeneralizing, don't necessarily maybe have those same exact types of pressures. Um, and COVID has exacerbated that, as we've all seen and heard and know the, the stats and, and hence the great resignation and all of these things going on. So I think um, I think just a culture, um, you know, I was, I was talking to an asset manager a couple of months ago, and I said, you know, I said, if you look at your culture and you look at the turnover, right, you may think that this culture, this sort of very you know, and, and again, you. I want. I want a culture to to be competitive, and I want a culture to to sort of um, have people on their toes and be giving the best investment results that they can. But there's all. But I think that that is a the culture in these organizations, right? Sort of doesn't allow for any other way except sort of one way that you have to be as a PM. And I think that that. Um, if you have a lot of other things going on, <laughs> right, is maybe not something that women want to do. Um, and again, I try not to name asset managers, but there was this was public, right? There was a, a, a an asset manager who said um, that they had realized. Um, I'm trying again, try not to use pronouns here, but <laughs> <laughs> they had realized um, that uh, that the culture of their organization maybe didn't appeal to women because it was scary. Um, and I read that and I it was I really sort of wondered sort of what the genesis of that comment was, because women are competitive. Right. I mean, look at look at the Olympics. Right. Women are competitive. Right. Women are um, they, they want to feel they want to win. They want they, 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 but they may want to do that in a slightly different culture, in a slightly different environment than the one that they are interacting and on a daily basis. And I think um, people have to, you know, culture gets thrown around a lot (laughs) in this industry, but it hasn't changed, right, that much in many organizations. So I don't know, a lot of these, a lot of these are, are things that you cannot ever get from a quantitative, right? You can spot trends and you can say, hey, what's going on here? But it's a lot of the qualitative conversations that we have that this type of um, you know, finding comes out with. And that's really sort of, we think that's as important, right, as sort of pe- to, to understand the context behind the numbers. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. I think the numbers give you a starting point, but it's yes. a real human, the real stories, yeah, that you really right. need to look at. It's like a definitely. performance track record. I yeah. mean, if all fun selection was, was looking at a performance track record, like anyone, anyone could like do that, right? Robots could yeah. do that. They do it today. Um, but, but if, you know, I think there's still that qualitative side to things and understanding context and sort of how things are changing and if they are changing for the better, because if, if, if like in our model, like if, if you're not, if you're say below peers, right. In terms of how you're thinking about <clears throat> paternity leave, for instance, you know, for instance, um, you know, it's not like we're going to dock you right in year one. Right. If you say to us, we know where we're behind, we're getting feedback from people that work for us. We've we've done some work on this. We know where we're behind and we're like, here's how we're going to improve. That's that's what we want. Right. We're not just going to be like, oh, you're, you know, <laughs> you're lower than your peers. And, um, you know, but if your answer is we're lower than their peer, we're not working on it and we don't care. That's what it mm. takes to work here. Like like it or not, that's our culture. That's maybe a different <laughs> Well, we signed a different rating, if you will. Yeah, I guess it's kind of like, yeah, that realization that I thought I was closer to A and I'm actually closer to B. And not only that, but I'm below my peers. I I think that does trigger certain soul searching in companies. What I was wondering as well, as you're looking at like all those different aspects and the pipeline and culture is the big one. But when you think about culture, you can't not think about the CEO figure. And what we start hearing a bit more, I think, is compensation conversation. So should we link compensation to, for example, diversity targets? Uh, so what, what are your thoughts on the matter? I mean, I always think that that's a double-edged sword. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, and, and, and unfortunately in the U.S., um, if this, you know, things probably get politicized a little bit around around concepts like this, which, in my opinion, don't need to necessarily be politicized. Right? You just look at facts and data around how diversity leads to better decision making and better teams and stronger companies. However, um, however, you know, I, I think we don't have enough. I don't think we have enough data to show whether whether that actually works. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are other social and government policies and programs um, that, you know, maybe that's modeled off after which have had mixed results and some people think have been successful and others don't. Um, but uh, but I, I think I think that, I think it's an interesting, I think some performance metrics, and I don't know if it's comp, but some performance metrics, right, are very helpful around it. So it keeps it top of mind. I, you know, I don't know whether, whether, whether comp is, is gonna be directly correlated enough to improvement. But to you know, my point before, it's always good to have economic incentives and disincentives. It's sort of what the knock-on effect of that is and what CEOs or other organizations might or, or organizations in general might end up doing in order to achieve that. And is really that sort of, you know, it, the most intentional and sort of the right way to do it. I don't think we have enough data to show whether that works or not. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And when you are working with 
fund managers. So what I was wondering, what we are hearing from asset managers when they are hiring for senior roles, they are trying to kind of refine their shortlist or at least put at least one woman or at least one person from the diverse background to have that optionality and kind of like push them through the ranks. So when you are selecting managers, do you have the same approach? And if yes, do you face any challenges with that? For example, we know from our data that there are only 10% of female fund managers in the whole of our database. So I right. can imagine that could be a bit of a tricky part. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, so we have both. Um, so in, in addition to this diversity and inclusion assessment that we're doing for all asset managers, we're also building out, um, you know, uh, continuing to build out. We have for many years been building out a diverse managed platform. And, and interestingly enough, as, as you know, and, um, you know, the, uh, but, but others may not, um, that a lot of diverse owned firms are privately held firms. A lot of them are, you know, have smaller AUM and again, generalizing, but if you look at sort of the, the distribution and AUM on diverse managed firms, it's fact. It's factual. It's not my opinion. Again, um, <laughs> but um, you know, so so we have, and, and I and I had to. I was trying to figure out whether, um, as the head of the group, I sort of mandated that every new search has uh, diverse managers and stop there, um, or um, to create a separate dedicated effort to grow that. Um, and I decided to do both because I just, I don't know if, right. Um, and, and again, I, I think that um, the, 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 the data shows that, you know, when people say that they have emerging manager programs or they have, you know, diverse, um, you know, or, or, or they're looking at diverse slates, do those do those end up always getting the light of day that they should, right? Or or you know, can you have a dedicated manager effort where you're looking for the best of the best of diverse managers and you're making sure that the standard for the investment standard for managers that you're putting on the platform is equal, but shining a light on that and making sure you're intentionally doing it? I mean, you can do it probably many different many ways, but I, but I, you know, we do we do ask, right? We have we do ask that that you include diverse manager searches in everything that you do, um, but we also have a dedicated effort for because I just think that you need to have that intentionality there and the focus on that and people thinking about it as sort of top of mind. Yeah, well, you have to attack it from multiple fronts right. to get somewhere, even right. slowly. Uh, right. Another thing that you see a lot of is now asset managers are coming out a bit more eagerly saying, oh, we are voting against um, non-diverse boards, for instance. And these kind of, kind of statements are appearing much more than they used to. Yeah. Um, when you're working with managers, is that something that maybe they're even offering to you as this additional data set? Look, we are voting on diversity. It's not just about the composition on the teams. So is that something that comes through a bit stronger now? Yeah, I mean, in particular, because we're doing D diversity inclusion and an ESG assessment, I think managers are always pretty mm. um, keen to sort of talk to us about what developments they're doing within their investment process. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I think that some of the, you know, the, the commitments that, um, 
a number of asset managers have made around this are really, really important, um, especially those that are very large, um, that the market listens to, are universal holders of <laughs> securities. Um, I think that is really important um, for people to, it's important, an important signal. I mean, um, you know, on, on you know, uh, in the in the vein, though, of, you know, as an investment due diligence person, no good deed goes unpunished. If you tell me that you're going to do that, though, if you say you have a commitment to do it, I want to see evidence of that. If you're telling me it's part of your investment process um, or if it's part of, you know, your engagement strategy or whatever, then now I'm going to want to see evidence of it. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I, I think it's it's extremely positive. And I, and I think that people, as long as they're sort of following up with with actually doing that, I think it's very important. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned, and I find this very interesting, the whole kind of like ESG piece and diversity piece working mm -hmm. together and at times overlapping. So how does that work together? Because we're used to talking, oh, ESG is a separate thing. Oftentimes it's like environmentally heavy, but not really like heavy on diversity. And diversity is like, oh, that's a separate story. But like right. that should work together, shouldn't it? it? It does. And we have them as we have them in one part of the questionnaire and we're asking them together so that they're they're thinking about them as as distinct right and they are looked at and sort of weighed in a it, they have two two spots in the weightings that we use across but 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 um but but they yeah they they should be seen as um as connecting and 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 also it, it, you're you're totally right though it is behavioral for having worked in ESG for a long time you know or research managers for a very long time in ESG um, myself, I know that there always tends to be sort of this because the quantitative data and some of the um, and some of the ways that you can analyze companies around that is easier. Um, it's not easy. It's easier in the environmental side. You always sort of have people thinking of that first. And we wanted to sort of emphasize that the, the S piece in their own backyard, um, <laughs> if you will, is as important to us. So that's why they're, they're distinct. Mm -hmm. um, we talked a lot about the importance of goals and setting goals to, in order to get places. So without throwing a curveball, like for you, for your kind of like fund research process, what are your goals on the diversity front? Yeah, I mean, we we have, you know, everyone in this industry has improvement to do. Um, uh, you know, I have, um, you know, I, I have, uh, I think, Good. I mean, and again, it's not 50-50, but relative to the industry, for, for instance, a good amount of um, uh, gender diversity on, say, my leadership team and in my in my analyst teams, um, but but not as much racial diversity um, as I would like. Um, and I have I, but I have other types of diversity, right, that I that that we sort of look at equally. Um, um, but but certainly, you know, um, uh, there's a ways to go. And I, and I, um, at Bank of America, actually, and this is another reason that we, that we thought that it was um, the right way to do the right way, the, the right thing to do in terms of looking at diversity and inclusion, because if we have internal goals, right, um, you know, and we're, we're, we're rated, maybe not the right word, but if we have performance targets around diversity, right, like I have a little number next to my name on my org chart, that says what my employee satisfaction score is and what my diversity and inclusion score is, right? So we have numerical, right? And the goal is to improve that, right? So we have um, we, we have 
metrics and benchmarks that we use internally to make sure that, right? And if, and if I think that a diverse investment team is going to make better investment decisions and I'm responsible for allocating client assets, right? Why wouldn't the people that we're giving these assets to be as responsible? So that was another sort of driver um, in this, though it was, you know, a lot of our, the way we did it was based on the research, um, you know, that I discussed before. It's a lot of the academic and industry research that's been done. So yeah, leading uh, yeah. by example is important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. By the way, I did say just an asset manager, I said, you know, there's so much, I, I was, I, they were they were inviting me to speak about this topic. So I, in a similar conversation, I said to them, you know, there's so, actually, we found there's so much data on this that that it's sort of upset to know that that it's just a set of data that people are ignoring, <laughs> right? I mean, I mean, it's sort of, you know, it's out there, right? Um, and and it's it's sort of just sad to know that people, um, not everyone, but but that it has been ignored for too long. I, I'll just leave it there. Mm-hmm. Anna, you agreed kindly to participate in our uh, judging panel last year, which was uh, quite good for us as well, because we valued your uh, American perspective on things. So I was wondering, looking at uh, all of that, uh, what are your thoughts about how the US is doing compared to Europe or what the biggest differences are? Because our perception sitting in here is that the US is talking a bit louder about it and has made a bit more progress in that domain. Yeah, I mean, again, this is you know what what's diversity and inclusion in the U.S. and the the and the the issues and the the you know historical legacy that we have to overcome in the U.S. Um, is different than in in other parts of the world. Um, uh, you know, Europe, Asia. You know, so so it's always hard for me to say what you know whether <laughs> managers are. Are approaching that um, correctly for their geography because I don't work in every single geo. I mean, I mm-hmm. uh, I invest in every single geography, but I'm not you know living and working and experiencing mm-hmm. um, the you know what what inclusion means, right? And so um, and so it's you know it it you know the U.S. is is loud. You know, the past year and a half, two years have been um, you know a reckoning. Uh, and so I think that that is a uh, a reaction to that. Um, but you know, but we also don't have um, the same set of crises, right? right? <laughs> or in other um, parts of it. So it's hard. It's really hard to say. Um, you know, again, I don't. I don't. I mean, I think there's a lot of progress that's been made, and everyone looking at this, global asset managers, you know, local sort of you know, geographically focused asset managers. There's a lot of. There's a lot of preparing for, right? A lot of, like I said before, a lot of infrastructure being put in place and people being assigned and, you know, metrics and things that people are doing to try to improve, but have, they, you know, how, how long is it going to take, right? With all the spotlight shine, you know, shown on this topic to actually see the progress. That's where I think I'm a little, I'm, I'm still a little bit, um, uh, well, I'm hopeful. I'm just not necessarily seeing huge changes anywhere, um, despite sort of the formalization of these programs inside of asset managers. 
factors, I guess is the right way to say it. It's a longer term journey. And when you think even about kind of like each country has its own unique diversity challenges, right? You look at the UK and it's the diversity of the boards and we know that that's a historical thing. But if you look at countries, I don't know, somewhere like in Eastern Europe, for instance, maybe diversity in other like non-gender diversity is a bit of a more difficult thing because there isn't like there aren't that many people to pick from elementary, but gender diversity though is not going away. Right. So you have to take it country by country, I guess, and right. be just very right. mindful of that. Yeah, I mean, for instance, you know, the difference in what diversity inclusion might mean in Japan versus China versus Korea versus Southeast Asia versus India, very different, <laughs> right? Um, and I'm not a sociologist, so I can't tell you exactly what that all, <laughs> what that all means, but yeah. Mm-hmm. And one last thing I wanted to talk about is actually those other bits of diversity, and especially uh, we have LGBTQ mm-hmm. data, for example, that I think is a bit hard to get hold of. And uh, I think people are understandably hesitant of handing it over. But this is something that we probably need to start looking at in some shape or form. So when you are coming up against this lack of disclosure and maybe potentially hesitancy on kind of like investor side, what do you do? Well, I think the problem is not necessarily uh, asset managers disclosing that data to us. It's how accurate it is, right? Because at least in the U.S., the majority, well, all, all of this is voluntary. But 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 that you know, LGBTQ um, is is a um, is 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 voluntary, right? And it's up to the individual to disclose it to the organization. So we don't know how accurate. Um, those figures are, you know, certainly, um, you know, we absolutely 100% absolutely include, um, you know, founders and and um, and 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 asset management owners and portfolio managers that are that are openly out. We include them um, as diverse. Same thing with disabled, um, and we don't, you know, they they they, they can sort of say, I am you know, I'm Mm -hmm. a disabled veteran or whatever, you know, and we will take them at their face value and put them on our diverse manager list. So yeah, where we, you know, um, the data around, um, you know, ethnic or racial uh, diversity and gender diversity tends to be easier, um, you know, uh, to to come to, but but, um, yeah, I, I think we're making progress, but it is really hard. And you don't know whether it's not the, it's, it's sort of at that point, it's not the asset manager, it's on the employee to, um, you know, sort of self, um, self-identify, so. Yeah, well, the only little workaround uh, is to look at the policies that asset management companies have in place. Right. And if there are maybe interacting with external bodies that are trying to promote that kind of diversity, I guess that's as close as you can get to it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and, and policies, right, I mean, if you don't have an LGBTQ policy, at the very least, right? I mean, like policies are our like, <laughs> like just like you've got to have like you've got to have them, right? And then we're trying to look for more action and intention and and progress um, on the on the practical side of things. Um, but yeah, if you don't even have a as a U.S. asset manager, if you don't have an LGBTQ policy, like that's um, <laughs> something to look at. <laughs> and you're not putting one in tomorrow, we're probably going to question that one pretty hard. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Sounds good. Well, Anna, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you.